and do my spiel. All right, welcome to the Caffeinated College Coach. My name is Wendy Steinberg, and we have the most special guest today. Okay, let's go back in time to 1978, okay? I was moving from Denver Public Schools to Cherry Creek Public Schools, and in Arrowhead Elementary in Aurora, Colorado, I walk in, I'm this tiny little girl with big glasses and black hair, and the teacher asked for somebody to kind of like help me get acclimated. And this girl named Jennifer Egan raised her hand and <laughs> I sat with her and we've been friends ever since. So I was so afraid to use her crayons. I didn't even, I was like, I was totally afraid to use your crayons. Um, I don't know. I was like, <laughs> I was six, seven, whatever we were. Oh my um, God. I can't believe you were afraid to use my, oh, my crayons. Absolutely. That's insane. <laughs> I know. So this is one of my oldest, dearest friends. We went through elementary school. Where'd you go to um, junior high? I went to Horizon. That's where I went. Okay. So we've gone to school. Arrowhead. Did you go to Cimarron? Did you transfer? Yeah, we, I went to Cimarron. All right. And then I went to Horizon, Horizon and then Smoky I went to Smoky Hill. Hill. Yeah. So since first grade all the way to 12th grade, um, we've been kind of keeping track of each other. So um, tell me, like, I, you know, after graduation, we're like all in our own bubble. We both graduated in 1989 which was phenomenal. <laughs> We're going to be 50 this year. In uh, <coughs> about a couple of weeks. <coughs> Yay. We're here. That's amazing. So tell me when we were getting ready to graduate, where did you decide to go to college? Did you take time off? What did you do? Well, when I decided I always just kind of knew I was going to college and no idea why, like in, according to my seventh grade version of myself, I was going to UCLA, no idea why, zero clue, but UCLA was where I was going. And I made my mind made up zero clue where it came from. And so I was, I'm first generation in terms of going to college. So, um, I didn't know what to expect. My parents didn't know what to expect. Um, so you know, you do the whole college thing with your counselor and, you know, and then I started realizing I could go to college anywhere. And so I started looking college out of state because I could not wait to get out of everything. I'm like, everybody at, at graduation was like, I was like, deuces, peace out, people. Catching 10. <laughs> I was like, boy, boy. I mean, I was, I couldn't get out of high. I hated high school. I hated every ounce of it. There was nothing about it I liked. I mean, my friends and stuff, but I really just high school. And so I started exploring options for out of state. And I did do in state. So I did uh, CU. And, um, but I lived at DePaul University in Chicago, University of Puget Sound in Washington State. And, did you go visit these campuses? No, I actually did not. Um, we didn't really have the money to do that. And actually Arizona State is where I ended up going. So when I moved down into the dorms, that was the first time I set foot on the campus. So I did a lot of my, I did a lot of my decision-making process on 
like what the classes were, where the campus was, what services they had, um, how big it was. Like I, my dad wanted me to go to this really teeny tiny college in Kansas, which was smaller than our high school, by the way, our high school. Okay, which, which campus? Because I did my graduate school in Kansas. I have no idea. It was like this teeny tiny college. I think there were like a thousand people at this school. And I was like, my, my dad, I'm like, no, I can't, I need something bigger, you know, and Arizona was the complete opposite in terms of geography. It was, there was lots of things to do. It was super outdoors and being from Colorado, I wanted some sunshine. And I was also at the time going to school to become a teacher. And I really liked their teaching program that they had. So that's kind of how I made my decision. Everybody thought I was crazy, not setting foot on the campus, but you know, I looked at pictures and I was like, well, it really, to me, it didn't matter what it looked like. It mattered what it had because it could be the most beautiful thing in the world and I could hate every ounce of it. Yeah. And so for me, it was like, what is the substance of it all? And it was a little bit of a hard decision, but part of Arizona was, um, I'm not going to lie, Cub Spring training. My mom hates the <laughs> fact that I, <laughs> uh, but it was also cheaper. Yeah. And, you know, and then somebody told my mom that DePaul University was in a bad neighborhood in Chicago. So immediately I was, if I went, I was on my own. Yeah. And so I ended up living in Chicago and I took my mom, I said, see all this mom? She's like, yeah, I'm like, this is DePaul. Do you see how nice this neighborhood is? And she was, yeah. she just chuckled and shook her head at me. But yeah, it was all about the substance. Um, I, I just... I didn't really care what it looked like. I cared what it had. And that's what was important to me. And so did you, did you graduate from there? Yeah, I did. I, um, so when we started going to college, it was that whole college isn't quite taking four years anymore. It was starting to creep into that five. And I was like, no way on God's green earth. Am I going to take five years? I'm like four and done. Um, my, one of my, my roommates from college, she did it in three and a half, but she's just crazy. Yeah. Oh my God. So I did it in four. I did the summer school at community. So I went to the local community colleges to take a couple classes because they transferred and they were cheaper Mm -hmm. until I got to my junior senior level. And then you have to take them at the, at ASU because they're upper level classes and you know, they don't really excuse me, transfer. And so I was out in four, like I was full-time. I worked full t- I worked 40 hours a week. Um, I went to school full-time, you know, and I just busted my butt to get through it. And uh, college was amazing. I love, I love college. I totally blossomed. I grew and the first year, you know, you live in, most people live in the dorms, you know, or unless you're like commuting from home, obviously, but living in the dorms was such a great opportunity because you got to be independent and on your own with a little bit of a safety net. So like you weren't had to worry, you didn't really have to worry about missing your rent payment per se, but like, you know, you were, nobody was checking in on you. You know, nobody was wondering where you're at unless it was your friends, you know, I mean, you know, mom, mom, no, 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 mom, I got to do this. No, mom, I got to do that. And <laughs> which was phenomenal. Yeah. How you, my dad did not like that one ounce, but I was like, too bad. I'm in college. You know, there's really yeah. nothing to do, but you know, it was really nice to, it was a great way to learn how to be on your own. 
you know, just without, like I said, having to worry about falling completely on your face. And that's what I really enjoyed about my freshman year. And then I moved out of the dorms and I lived with several different roommates throughout the rest of my uh, last three years of college and, you know, had fun with that. Yeah. Did you get involved on campus? No, because I worked. Yeah. Where um, did you work? Um, so for, I did, uh, I did some hostessing at a local restaurant and I did some, not telemarketing, but people like doing the interviews, but I ended up getting a job at the Hyatt Regency Hotel in Scottsdale at Ganey Ranch and I worked there. So I did turn down at night, you know, fresh towels, little chocolate thing. And then I ended up moving into room reservations. And so I worked in there until I graduated and, you know, reaped the benefits of working for a hotel. Like I got fed, I turned it into two meals. Okay. So we all know you're broke in college, right? Absolutely. So I got to eat one meal a day. Like that was part of my benefit of working at the hotel, but I was able to stretch it into two meals because I worked the morning shift and they would always have like dry cereal and toast. So I would eat breakfast and then my, in the middle of my shift was my lunch. So I got two meals out of that in which, you know, my grocery bill loved that. <laughs> Let me just tell you, I, you know, I, I stretched that out. I was like, man, I'm going to get two meals out of this. I'm broke. I don't need to be paying for food. So highly recommend the option of you can like find a place that gives you a meal. Yeah. Highly recommend that option. <laughs> That's awesome. So you graduated. Did you get, cause don't you have to take some sort of licensing test? Did you do it? Like so, where did you get a job? Okay. So okay. I did the thing that so many college kids do. I freaked out, had an identity crisis and changed everything. So I ended up calling my grandparents and telling them I was so confused about being a teacher and I was upset. My, my grandmother and my grandfather didn't know what to do with me, you know, cause I was so upset. And she's like, why aren't you talking to your mom? And I was like, I don't want to disappoint her. <laughs> and so I actually ended up going into business. I took a business class. I ended up getting a degree in finance. And so I did the corporate thing. And so from Arizona, I went to Chicago and I was in like corporate America and I hated it. I didn't have that. There was no intangible, like, yeah. you know, there was no, the warm fuzzy. It wasn't feeling like I was being productive. So I quit my job and I started waiting tables and I went back to grad school and I ended up going to DePaul university. After all, I have my master's in secondary education from there. And so, um, yeah, I had to take a test to get my teaching license there. And in Illinois, you have to be certified in each individual item. So like I had, cause I taught social studies. So I had to do econ, sociology, US history. Oh my gosh. So it's for individual now here in Colorado. Cause I obviously I moved home and they just did one big one, social studies, seventh grade to 12th grade. So that's all I have on my teaching certificate for here, where in Illinois, you have to test for each one and you can't. So like I could figure out psychology for high school, mm -hmm. but I couldn't teach it because I didn't have the endorsement in psychology. Wow. So it's just a little bit different. It depends on the state in terms of your, how the certification works. And then it also depends on some states have reciprocity. So when I decided to go back to school and become a teacher, 
I wanted to make sure that if I needed to go to Texas where my brother was living to help him out because he had two kids or I decided I wanted to live there, my teaching certificate would transfer. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with Colorado because my mom was living here at the time. And I was like, well, if I need to come home and take care of my mom or something, then my teaching certificate will transfer. So that was one of the things that I investigated because I didn't want to have to start all over again. Right. Not every state does it. I think there's like 30 or 32, at least back in the dinosaur age when I you know, got my certificate, um, that's how it was. So, um, but you do have to clear a back criminal background check to get your license. So when I moved, I, I didn't really have a lot to do with the whole process in Illinois because the school took care of everything. So when I came here, I had to go through the Colorado Bureau of Investigations background check. So essentially the FBI, but the Colorado version to get a background check, I had to like go and get fingerprinted like the ink one, you know, I felt like a criminal. Yeah. I felt like I did something wrong and I it really didn't, you know, but it was like, cause the ink was like all over your hands and stuff. And, you know, you had to like submit transcripts and all yeah. these things. And so for you to get your license. And um, so I had to, I was more involved when I got transferred my certificate home um, than I was, but you still had to get everywhere you go. You still have to get fingerprinted. You have to do the background yeah. checks. Um, when I moved home, I, re- I was looking for an apartment. Everybody's like, we can't, we're going to have to do a background check on you. I'm like, I just cleared an FBI background check. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I had to in order and to it's get expensive. A- like here you have to pay so much and it's in cash and okay. I'm, I'm only four eleven, So they had to come around the counter, <laughs> bring me a stool for me to step on so I could actually reach the fingerprinting machine. And I'm just like, really? Okay. So let's go back to Chicago. You were also a track coach, weren't you? I did. I, uh, so I just kind of want to make it clear. I actually taught in the city of Chicago. I taught in the Chicago public school. So some people would be like, oh yeah, I'm from Chicago. And I'm like, oh, what neighborhood? And they'll be like, Naperville. I'm like, that's not Chicago, that's suburb. Sorry to anybody who's from Naperville, Illinois. But like, I actually taught in the city city. So um, I coached girls track for a while. I did a short stint at boys track. Um, I did girls cross country for a while and then the boys varsity cross country coach retired. So that's mostly what I did. So I taught there for 16 years and I coached 13 out of my 16 there. Yeah. I, my body got too old for that. Let me just tell you, I hit an age where Lord have mercy. I was, I got so tired one night. I almost fell asleep at the wheel of the car. Thank God it was at a stop sign. Well, it was like at the beginning of the school year, when you coach and you're still getting started, I was putting in 11, 12, 13 hour days oh my God. and cause you got to meet on the weekend. So only Sundays off. So yeah, I mean, it's a little exhausting, but it's a completely different relationship with yeah. the students than with the, you know, with the athletes versus the students. So like, I'm still in touch with a lot of my athletes. I actually, um, in 2015, uh, one of the very first girls I ever taught, Alexis, um, I went to her wedding. So yeah, I still see her as a four. Yeah, so I went to her wedding. So I'm, I, I still talk to some of my actual students because, you know, Facebook. Mm-hmm. But actually, the interacting is more with my athletes. Um, I went on vacation to Europe for three weeks. And one of my runners 
house sat for me for three weeks, you know, everybody's like, how could you do that? And I'm like, it's different with athletes than it is with students. And sometimes, you know, I have students, right. I have former students that if they needed a place to stay, I would, you know, I would give it to them because it's just, that's the type of relationship you have. But yeah, I miss coaching a little bit, a little bit. So what made you decide to move back home to Colorado? My sanity. Your sanity? (gasps) Interesting. (laughs) Um, So what it was is that I loved, loved, loved being a teacher. Um, It's not just what I do, it's who I am. Yeah. And, but the problem is, is the Chicago public school system was just, wearing me out and it was sucking the life out of me where when the only time I was truly happy is when the door was shut and I was with the kids and that's it and it made it so they were just making it harder so it's like when I first started it's like here's $15 get me 15 things so I was like sweet then it slowly became here's $10 I need 15 things and it starts towards the end. It's like, here's $5. I need 20 things. And so it was starting more and more of having to do more with a lot less. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was just hard. And, you know, every school has its own politics and drama and there, you know, there was mine and I just, I couldn't take it anymore. And I knew if I wanted to be a teacher, I had two options. One was find another school in Illinois, but where I lived in the city, I would have had to actually sell my house and move because I would have had to find it in the suburbs. And I wasn't going to spend an hour and a half to two hours a day in my car. And then, so my other option was moving home. I had a plan to move home after 20 years and, you know, retire there, come home. And so and to save my sanity and just make me still want to be a teacher, sold my house, mm-hmm. packed my bags, found myself a job. And now I have my beautiful winters that aren't polar vortexes and the sun shines 340 plus days a year. So, right. you know. So I don't know if everybody knows. But you got a job at Gateway High School, right? Yes. That's where I was for three years. Yes. Yes. And we both knew somebody that worked there. So Lewis Wright used to be a Bronco, number 20. And yay! And he lived on my street growing up. And so when they actually moved to a better neighborhood, um, bigger house, um, I know. Hello. When you're a Bronco. Yes, you are. And I used to babysit for him. So they would come and pick me up and I would just babysit his kids. And I think it was, was it 1987 or 88 when they went to the Super Bowl or the playoffs? One of those two. I I, I don't even know. Right. And so I got to babysit and it was so cool because they had a big TV. So anyway, (laughs) (laughs) really, it, it doesn't take a lot to entertain Wendy. Okay. So it was so cool because then you sent me this Facebook messenger saying, guess who I met at Gateway. Yay! Oh my God. I was like a little girl. I could barely talk to him. I turned bright red. I giggled. 
I giggled like a little schoolgirl. It took me a full year to be able to talk to him without going, <laughs> that's Louis Wright. <laughs> oh my God. That's no. It took me a year, about a year to do that. Um, but I remember us, me messaging you and I did, I said, Hey, you know, when I first met him at him, I was like, do you remember Wendy Friedman? He's like, of course I do. Like that instantaneously, like remembered you and your family yeah. and about how wonderful you were, which of course is a lie. No, I'm just kidding. Totally. And <laughs> no. And it was so funny when eventually in because I tend to go by Jen, I go by both, but a lot of people call me Jen. When he started calling me Jen, I was like, Louis Wright calls me Jen. I know Louis Wright. <laughs> he was just such a special bronc. I mean, he was, I don't know. Everybody on skills, people. Hashtag skills. Yeah, he's, yeah. Is he still doing like football coaching? No, he's not. He was a social studies teacher for a while. And then he's now doing PE. Um, I don't know how much more time he's got left in terms of till he uh, retires or not. And yeah. everybody's different, but um, he's been a gateway for quite some time. Yeah. And the kids don't really realize who he is. <gasps> and they, well, I mean, you know, cause he's from our age. But I like, know. Once I explain to some of them who they are and they look him up and they see his stats and everything that he did, then they're like, oh my God, you know, but for me, I'm like, it's Louie Wright. I know. <laughs> it's so cool. We used to see him on TV. So tell me, um, you were, before we started recording, you were telling me a little bit about the job you have now, which yes. I think in the middle of a pandemic is just so vital and so key and it takes all of your skills that you've cultivated over your career and now it's really putting it to good use yeah I mean I was you know unfortunately for various reasons you know I was actually unemployed and now I work with people who are unemployed and need a job so my job is helping people who are long-term unemployed who've been laid off you know whether it be for the pandemic or for another reason businesses closing I help them find a job so I work with their resumes and cover letters um, if they need um, assistance for food for mm -hmm. transportation yeah. um, if we're going to end up taking them into a training course so that they could learn computers or healthcare. Yeah. you know some people still need their GEDs so we help them with the process of getting their GEDs um, I've done some work with veterans in terms of reaching out and make sure that they have all the services that they need so um, there's a lot of compassion and empathy that I have in my position because I've been where they're at. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a social emotional component to it, you know, because it's just hard, you know, yeah. you're in a dark place and you can only control so much, you know, you can only control, you know, how many jobs you apply, how often you look and, you know, beyond that, it's just, you know, you're, it's kind of a matter of, luck so it's nice because I get to use some of my teaching skills because you know the social emotional aspect you know there's <clears throat> got to be organized and stuff because you know teachers are just a little organized so it's really nice um I've helped a couple people and just to watch that relief that things are that I've solved this problem, which really isn't that big of a deal, but it is for them because there's so much going on and it's building and building and building. Mm -hmm. And 
um, Mr. Lopez, I was helping him out and cause he had to do some reapplying to, to, for benefits. And he was so frustrated. I was like, can I sit at your keyboard? Cause I was actually in the resource center and he's like, yes. So, you know, it was nice, but it's, you know, definitely interpersonal communication skills. That is important. Empathy, compassion, um, and a whole lot of, please put myself in somebody else's shoes, Yeah, which I think given the climate that we live in, we really need to work on putting ourselves in other people's shoes and seeing things from a completely different perspective. Um, it's hard, you know, and with students, I always try to teach them, hey, you need to see things from other people's perspective. Um, I actually taught uh, English language learners geography. And we had one girl, Marwa, who was from Afghanistan. So she spoke Farsi. And a lot of my kids in the class were from Latinx countries. And they were so frustrated with her. And I was like, and she was gone one day and I said, okay, guys, like, do you, I put up, you know, Farsi on the board. I was like, do you see that? They're like, what is that? I'm like, that's Farsi. I'm like, that's what Marwa speaks. They were like, oh. And I said, and Marwa doesn't read left to right. She reads right to left. Yeah. You know, I mean, you might know a little something about that. I with, do. With the whole Hebrew <laughs> thing going down. Yeah. Uh, so like, once I sat down, once they saw what Farsi looked like, once I explained to them the different directions, their attitude and the way that they worked with her changed. Good. So, Good. Um, you know, perspective is important right now. Absolutely. Oh, I could get on my soapbox and talk about perspective for hours, but I won't do that. <laughs> no, I think it's good. It really is because I was first generation. Um, I don't know if you used financial aid, but I remember filling out paper on paper. Now it's computer, right? And so we would fill out financial aid. They'd, we'd send it to them. Six weeks later, we'd get it back for corrections. Then we send it back and then we finally get an offer. And we did this every year. Um, and looking back at preparing for college, I know it was mainly trial by fire for both. Oh of my us. God. It, yeah. It was like, let's throw it and see what sticks. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I thought I was going to be best friends, lifetime long friends with my roommate. No, no, <laughs> not at all. Like she would get up and take a 45 minute shower every day. And I would literally roll out of bed and make it to my 8am class. I mean, I didn't care if I, if I smelled, everybody else did. And I so, hello, you, ponytail, ponytail. Oh my God. Hat, gray, grayness hat. Okay. <laughs> so I work with lower socioeconomic first generation, mm -hmm. um, very diverse students in my position as a college advisor. And what you say about perspective is so key because I, I couldn't be an international student in another country trying to learn their language, acclimate to their culture. Yes. You know, I, I would just get back on a plane and fly home, <laughs> you know? It really is. And, you know, it was very scary, you know, because, well, first of all, high school is just scary, period, you know, and then to not know the language, then to have your cultural barriers. And it is, it is scary. And I think that 
finding your way is difficult, but if you surround yourself with the right people, finding your way becomes easier because let's just face facts, everybody's lost. Every yeah. single person is lost. Some people just hide it better than others. Yeah. But everybody's lost. Everybody's confused. Everybody's frustrated. Everybody's scared. Some people show it. Some people don't. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it's a matter of, you know, perspective. It's a matter of effort. It's a matter of what do you, what do you want? You yeah. know, what is your desire? What direction do you want to go? Yeah. You know, and I mean, a lot of my, I mean, teaching in Chicago, I had quite a few kids who were undocumented and I had a student who came to me and he's, I helped him through the whole dream DACA and everything. Lots of paperwork for that. But like how he came back to me like about a year or two later and he was the, the pride in him that he was able to work and take care of his family and vote. Oh my God, the social studies teacher in me was like, you know, cause he was like, I can vote, you know, I have a say in yeah. what's going on and, you know, but a there's a lot to overcome, you know, I, I mean, I've taught kids who have kids who have kids, yeah, you know, kids who are undocumented. I've taught kids who, you know, are living with another relative because their parent is you know, has passed away or is in jail or is just incapable of taking care of them. You know, um, I've taught kids who, I've taught gangbangers, you know, I've taught the hardcore kids like at the top of the pyramid, I've taught kids who've been on parole. I've taught kids who are on probation, you know, and some of them choose to start to surround themselves with other people that will pull them up. Yeah. And some have a harder time breaking through. One of the kids that I met as a freshman, his dad was in a rival gang. Yeah. And so like, imagine that family dynamic. And he was wicked smart, really smart. And like, I, but I couldn't convince him how smart he was. Like, yeah. he just didn't see it. I'm like, oh, you know, there was a lot of that. And um, if I remember correctly, about, I think about two years after he graduated, maybe three, he was killed. Yeah. Um, and I, it was gang related, but yeah, no, I've lost a couple of students. I've lost, I've, I've lost a couple of students, you know, not that, that I wasn't necessarily close to, but I've also, I've lost two former students. Uh, one of them, I lost her to suicide. And then the other one, I lost him to um, drugs and alcohol. Nice. So yeah, no, Gabriel, Gabriel was harder than Sharonda. Um, yeah. Just cause he, I, I, I don't know why he was harder. Um, yeah. Probably cause I was a little bit more of a mom <clears throat> to him. I mean, his mom was amazing and he had an incredible family life but I was a little bit more of the mom to him and so I think that's just a little difference in the bond, yeah. but, you know, um, Sharonda has a twin sister, Jolanda, and Jolanda actually said, if it wasn't for sports, she said, I would have never graduated high school. And it was yeah. like finding that thing to latch onto so that she could push through and, you know, and so that she could have something better for herself, 
Yeah. You know, and I remember talking to some of my students about going to college and they were like, what do you mean going to college? I was like, well, I mean, you know, and we had these conversations and I even had the conversation about, you know, you don't have to go to a four year, you can go to a two year, you know, and you can transfer or you can do like a tech school. My nephew did that. Yeah. Um, so Tommy, my younger brother, um, by the way, two full grown sons in their twenties, let me just tell you, oh yeah, one of them's married one of them's married and actually TJ, he's the oldest. He actually worked. He went to Lincoln tech and this was in Texas and he ended up getting a job with Disney on ice. And that bum got to travel the world. Like, so he did like, he got to go to South Africa. He got to go to Argentina, Brazil, England, Greece, France, Belgium, uh, Scotland, Ireland. He got to like go, New Zealand, Australia, and work and all over the world. And he went to a tech school. Yeah. You know, he didn't go to some fancy smancy four-year degree, but and that boy made money, like because they paid for everything. Like I have they to tell you, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I have to tell you for sure that we both have master's degrees. Okay. But the students that I work with that graduate from my college with an associate's without a doubt, make more money than I have ever made a, in a year. I mean, I should have been a welder. Uh, I, you know, I'm like, I, I will never make $45 an hour. Never. No, not even a welder, a bricklayer. Do you know how much money those people make? Because they're that's a few and far between. When I was um, no. buying a place, you could have bricked up the, the fireplace more. And to do it, up further was another like five grand and we were like how much does the brick cost and they're like it's not the brick it's the labor because not that many people do brick laying and you know and so you can make the money with it and you know tj got to travel the world you know when he was home they paid for his he lived in tampa and they paid for it i think the boy only had a phone bill and some food bill and traveling money and that was it because of the job that he got and you know, he was really blessed to see the world. He's turned into a foodie who would have ever thought, you know, but there's nothing wrong with that tech school. Somebody, oh, absolutely you know, not. You know, somebody's got to, to do those jobs. And if that's what you love, Godspeed to you. Like I know absolutely. a lot of, I've had quite a few former students who've gone to culinary school and I was like, um, when you're done, let me know and you can cook for me and I'll pay you. Cause I, I was just about to say, where's the cheesecake? All right. I can't bring it. Oh, I hate to cook. I hate it. I would pay any amount of money for any, I mean, some of them actually like could come back and like visited during like report card pickup and stuff. And they brought food. I was like, I knew I loved you. I, oh. you know, <laughs> I was like, you know, and some of them, a couple of them were like, working in some really nice restaurants in downtown Chicago, you know, right after they graduated, like sous chefs type of thing. And I'm like, make, you know, live in the dream. Uh, dream. I'm like, it's just a different time. It really is. Well, I mean, I think the thing is, is that back when you and I were, you know, roaming the earth with the dinosaurs, Mm -hmm. college, going to a four-year college changed everything. Yeah. And it was the thing you needed to do. And now it's not necessarily for your college. It's post-secondary. Is yeah. it an associate's degree? Is it a tech? Is it the military? Is you know, it, yeah. 
you know, what is it that you want to do? And I think that people really do need to understand that success isn't going to a four-year school. It's it success is going to your school, studying what you want to study and getting to do what you want to do for a living. And if it's working on cars, if it's being a nurse, if it's being a um, person who reads the (laughs) x-rays, radiologist, you know, if it's an accountant, if it's, you know, a chef, whatever it is, if that's what makes you happy, then that's your success. Cause it's right. very subjective, you know, yeah. for me, when I moved home, success was all about the fact that I got a patio and I got a parking space. Let me just tell you, I mean, first of all, if you've never been to Chicago, the closer you go into like downtown, the less there is to park. Like you have to buy a parking space sometimes. And that parking space is an additional t- between anywhere between ten and $25,000 on top of what you pay for your house, depending on where you live. If not, you'd be parking on the street. By the way, parallel parking, a must. And I, I mean, I parallel parked, I lived in the city for 11 years and I parallel parked every night, you know, cause I didn't have a spot. And the place that I bought, my mom's like, I don't understand why you didn't get a place with a parking spot. I'm like, mom, cause I don't have another 10 to 15 grand. Yeah. Like, would you like to give me that? Cause I don't got that. I'm like, I don't, you know, uh, and, you know, depending on where you live in the city, you know, even if you have a house, outdoor space is like limited, but I had none in my condo. So my little patio that I got back there, my outdoor office in the wintertime, by the way, or in the summertime, fabulous. I'm like, to me, like that's success. Like I got, I have two bedrooms now. I had a bed, one bedroom condo. I now have a two bedroom townhome. I got, I got a patio and, you know, I got a parking space. To me, I've hit the jackpot. Life is right. good. It's that like you said, it's all perspective. It, yeah. Right? It's it, to me, that success. I went from a one bedroom to a two bedroom, you know, that's right. And, you know, living at home is success for me. You know, I miss Chicago. I miss the food. I miss the hustle and bustle, but being here and being emotionally as well as physically healthy is yeah. important. And, you know, I get to see Louis Wright periodically. That's so cool. So you've kind of like gone full circle. Yes. You're in a better place. Like you said, physically, mentally, emotionally, you got a patio, you got two bedrooms and a parking space, which is really all a girl needs. So that in Taco Tuesday. That in Taco Tuesday. Where is that Taco Tuesday? I mean, I know it's from the Lego movie, but. I need a taco Tuesday period. Every Tuesday, I need me some tacos. That's all I oh need. My gosh. And you're in Colorado. So you have some really oh, great options. Tell me, feed me tacos and tell me I'm beautiful. And I'm That's really, person. yes, absolutely. Same, same. So as we kind of come to a close, what is one really great piece of advice that you would give to um, a family trying to navigate the college process? Um. I think that, well, there's a couple things. Number one, I think everybody has to be honest about what they want. Yeah. That's the first thing. Cause my parents were like, oh, it's up to you. It's up to you. And then I'd hear them having their conversations. And I was like, I want your advice. But I think the other thing is, is that you need, as parents need to trust that they've done the right thing by your ch- their children 
that you've raised them the right way. And it really is their decision to make. Um, and it's their decision to succeed or fail or flop. I mean, there's plenty of people who went away to college and came back after the first year. Yes. But I think gathering as much information you can as possible and then meet, you know, allowing your son or daughter to make what they think is the best possible decision at that moment in time for them is the best thing to do. And if it turns out to be the wrong thing, at least every all parties involved know that, hey, we did everything we possibly could to make the right decision. Right. And then you can look yourself in the mirror and says, you know what, I did what I thought was right. But, you know, I found a lot of parents who have pressured the kids into like, you know, going to, you know, staying in state or going to a two-year instead of the four-year, you know, or just not even going to, you know, wanting to go to one community college versus another. And it really does have to be that person's decision because it is, it's your son or daughter's future. And it's, they have to start making those choices and they have to be responsible for them. And, you know, my parents had a hard time letting go. Like they yeah. really did. And, you know, but once they did and they watched that I was able to make the good decisions, seek out the advice and, you know, just keep going, you know, they felt better, but, you know, it's also my baby's growing up kind of I thing, know. but, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's the circle of life, but really just trust that your son or daughter is going to make a good decision and help them make that decision, but don't make that decision for them. That's awesome. That's awesome. I am so glad that you joined us tonight. And well, thank you for inviting me. I loved it. I loved hearing your voice. I oh my goodness. So I can't believe I get to see you. So we're going to do this much more often. Maybe right. we could have virtual Taco Tuesday Margarita night. I don't know. I know for real, because we are beautiful and we must be pampered, right? I knew when I was going to share my crayons with you in the first grade that there was a little something extra. <laughs> Just love us. Thank you so much.